This is the Stop the Bleed podcast, where host Pat and Kelly will foster powerful discussion around the importance of Stop the Bleed. From awareness and training to education and life-changing actions, you'll hear from survivors, first responders, neighbors, doctors, and people you pass on the street every day. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Pat and I have an eye-opening episode lined up for you today. We're very grateful to welcome Stop the Bleed ambassador and friend Lacey Newman to the show. I want to keep our introduction fairly short and really let Lacey take you through her experience with the events that unfolded on October 1st, 2017. She's been sharing her story publicly for the past three years and is the first to say that she's stronger because of it. Lacey Newman is a Las Vegas shooting survivor and someone who has been paying it forward in the Stop the Bleed campaign as an active ambassador since. Pat and I asked Lacey to join us on air to share her personal story, but also to talk a bit more about why she decided to get involved with the Stop the Bleed campaign. Lacey Newman is here to remind us that deaths from bleeding are preventable. Remember, the number one cause of preventable death after injury is bleeding. That it can happen to anyone, in her words, even just a baseball mom from Southern California. And that everyone can and should learn how to save a life in a bleeding situation. Lacey? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I know you've told the story many times, uh, but I'm just wondering if you could uh, just kind of take us through, um, you know, what happened on that uh, tragic evening and how that got you connected to all all of this. Sure. Um, So I was in Las Vegas for the Route 91 festival and it was a three-day festival. I had gone with a group of girlfriends and we had like the best weekend ever. Uh, We kept commenting of how amazing it was and how much fun we had and how perfect it was to have a weekend away from the kids and the husbands and, you know, just relaxing and listening to our favorite country music. And it really was the best time of our lives, you know, until it wasn't. And so Sunday night rolled around and Jason Aldean was the headlining performer. We were very excited for that. And we kept kind of inching up to the front or closer to the front of the stage so that we could you know, have all the visuals and really get into the concert. And um, of course, a couple songs in, we heard some loud pops and we thought that they were fireworks. A new song started and that's when we heard um, actually the gunfire. And that's when we realized, oh goodness, this is not fireworks. There's no fireworks in the skies. This is extremely repetitive. Something's wrong. So I um, was there, you know, with my friend and I grabbed her hand and we ducked down because we really weren't sure what was going on. Then we, uh, you know, more shooting started and I said, we have to get out of here. We have to run. And so we held hands and we just started running. Um, At that time, we didn't know where our exits were. We didn't really know a whole lot about how we could escape except for the entrance we came in on, which was back on Las Vegas Boulevard. And we had a feeling that's where the shooting was coming from. And so we didn't want to go back that way. So I remember thinking we just have to get to the bathroom area because that will give us some coverage. And of course the porta potties, they weren't going to do much, but at least it was something. So we started running and you know, we were tripping over people. And I just, we remember holding hands and saying like, don't fall don't get separated. We got to get through this. And, um, you know, I, I think at the beginning we thought the shooting was inside the venue. So as we were running and the new volley would start, we would kind of hit the ground thinking someone's shooting at level to us, we should be on the ground. And, 
um, one of those times going down is when I realized that I had been injured. And so um, I just recall like laying on the ground thinking, oh my gosh, this cannot be happening. What I mean, in shock, of course, what is going on? This can't be happening. And it's when I realized, you know, something was wrong. And I recall um, just realizing I was shot in the leg and my shoe was missing. And, um, you know, I kind of just took a moment and I feel like everything turned slow motion and I kind of lost a lot of my senses. And I just recall feeling the warmth of the asphalt beneath me and, and thinking, gosh, this is so warm. I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to lay here. And um, yeah, this seems really peaceful. <laughs> and um, thankfully my friend, um, you know, we of course not held hands as we hit the ground. So she got up and started running again and she came back and she was yelling at me and you know, yelling at me, I have to get up, we have to run. And, uh, you know, I just remember looking at her and being like, I, I'm shot. I don't know if I can run. And thankfully I was able to get up and run. You know, by that time people had knocked down fences and we were able to exit the venue. And, uh, we ended up actually behind a police car that was in the road. And that police car was just there as like a security. He wasn't there for the shooting at that time. And so I recall we hid behind that vehicle and that's kind of when everything came to us that like, oh my God, this is happening. Where can we go to be safe? You know, where is the shooter? And I recall at some point just sitting there, you know, in and out of shock and thinking, He's on the roof of Mandalay Bay because I can hear the shots and I can hear the echoes. So I remember thinking, if I can see the roof of Mandalay Bay, he can see me behind this little police car. We have to keep running. Um, now, during that time, my friend, thankfully, was more in her right mind and was, you know, yelling and, and getting people to come over and try to help me. And we had a gentleman stop and he took a belt from somebody else and they applied a makeshift tourniquet to my leg, which was amazing. Now, unfortunately... As soon as we got up and started running, that tourniquet did fall off. You know, we, we had tried. They had tried. And so we ran for a total about a mile. We were still being shot at. We could st still hear the bullets flying. We were seeing, you know, other victims being carried by other concert goers. And, um, you know, there was a, I just recall seeing a lot of blood. There was, there was a lot of blood. There was a lot of injury. Do you remember what you were hearing? You know, you talk so much about what you were seeing. And I know, like you said, things went in slow motion and I'm sure it was really loud, but there was times when you were just in your own head. I, I know for me, it was like, you're hearing the bullets literally going past you. You're hearing them hit the metal fence that you're standing next to. You don't recall a lot of conversations I had. People had said they had come up to me and talked to me and I don't recall that at all. Um, of course, my friend and I have like different memories that we can share and um, and try to go back and piece our story together. And yeah, it's interesting how you just remember certain things. Um, for me, I definitely remember more of the visual and, and, you know, that was devastating. And I do remember at one point thinking, if you want to get out of this, you have to almost have tunnel vision and like only look at what's right in front of you, because when you saw the other people that were injured. I mean, I recall seeing someone and being like, there's no way that person's alive. There's no way. And um, when that hit, it was like, you know, that's again, when reality starts setting in and it was terrifying. I just, I mean, the amount of blood that we saw was incredible. I remember thinking that, yeah, like zoom in, just look right in front of you. 
you kind of said you were, it was a little confusing. Like we thought it was fireworks, you know, then you realized it was gunfire at this point is everyone running. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. Some people did run, some people didn't run. And I remember like, right when we kind of grabbed hands and I'm like, we got to run the guy behind us was like, you know, calm down ladies. It's just fireworks. And I remember looking at him. I mean, I could sketch his face and I was like, that is not fireworks. That is gunfire. And so we just took off. And I think there was like, some people were very aware of what was happening. Other people were not aware at all. Um, and of course, you know, it was 10 minutes of shooting, but still not a whole lot of time to kind of figure out exactly what's going on. And of course, then it's like, oh, there's multiple shooters or there's this, that's that coming from here. And um, so, yeah, it's like when we were trying to exit the venue, it's like, you're, you know, you're trying to funnel people into out of a gate that somebody knocked over and um, that was traumatic and, and, um, you know, not like anything I've ever experienced before. That's for sure. Like that moment when you're literally realizing that you're running for your life and you're just stuck, stuck and stopped waiting for people to get out of your way. Um, that's really, truly terrifying. So one thing that always struck me about, uh, hearing some of this before Lacey is that, so you're shot, but you have a friend mm-hmm. and she doesn't run away and just to save herself. So that was my friend, Nicole. She absolutely saved my life that night. I, she's super uncomfortable when I say that, but it's the truth. And she was really able to keep me focused and, um, you know, behind the police car, she was the one yelling at people, stopping people, begging people to help. My friend's been shot, please help her. And then of course, as we got up and started running, she, you know, was very, we have to get to safety. We have to get you to safety. We were trying to find places to hide and she would like run ahead and see if she could find a place. And at this point I had lost both of my shoes and we're like running on first asphalt. And then we got to, you know, a rocky dirt road. And so I was very uncomfortable. And so she was like rock star, like we have to get to safety. And that's actually how we found someone um, who would drive us to EMS is she saw somebody up ahead, turn on their lights. And she ran up to them and said, please, please, please let us get in the bed of your truck. I have my friend, she's injured. I need to get her help. When we got in the bed of that truck, you know, I remember thinking like, I have to be a mom. I I can't die. (laughs) I have to be a mom. I can't die. And um, I told her and and she, she was aware, like we both on the same page, like we have to do something to try to stop this bleeding. But honestly, neither of us really knew what to do. And so um, there had, were two other girls in the bed of the truck. And so she said to them, I need something. I need a shirt, a sweater, whatever you have, I need something. And they had a shirt that they gave to her. And so um, I laid down and first I thought, oh, I'll elevate as if that's going to stop the bleeding. Um, but then she kind of literally just sat up in the bed of the truck and put all of her body weight on top of that t-shirt on my wound and helped stop the bleed that way. And she literally was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing what I saw on Grey's Anatomy. And that is how she was able to help control my bleeding. And that's, you know, why I'm here today. You knew it was gunshots. Like you said, you know, you, you, you figured it out, you know, a lot earlier, I think, than maybe some around you and you knew to run. So it's incredible. Your friend is incredible. Nicole, if you're listening, we all thank you. We're so glad that Lacey's here. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I feel like we actually got out very, very quickly um, and were able to get to help extremely fast. You know, I w- I've always been curious, uh, uh, Lacey, um, again, having heard uh, heard some of this before, you know, because you've been so great uh, speaking publicly about the Stop the Bleed campaign. Take us through uh, this 
just want to say transition in that the experience that you just described would classically lead really anybody to experience pretty significant P- PTSD, right? Mm-hmm. And you wind up paying it forward in a, in a huge way. Take us through what was your uh, journey to go from somebody who just experienced this to being such a, a champion for the Stop the Bleed campaign? You know, it took a little bit. Um, I think that I was so focused on my physical recovery first that I didn't really start my emotional recovery actually till about six months later. I mean, I was in therapy, of course, and, and doing all that work, but it was, I was so focused on my recovery and I was having surgery. It just so happened to be like almost, you know, almost to the day, six months after the shooting. And it was right around that time where I kind of realized like, Hey, I need to take some steps and, um, leave the house. (laughs) I was really only leaving the house to go to doctor's appointments and wound care and meeting with surgeons and things like that. And so I just realized my life, um, had just stopped and, you know, I have a son and the whole reason why I wanted to survive that night was to be a mom to him. And I had, um, you know, that reality hit me of, I'm not actually being that good of a mom to him because I'm too scared a lot of days to leave my house or I'll only go in my little circle. And I had, you know, that thought of, I have to do something so that if I'm ever in a situation like this again, I will know what to do. And that's how I found Stop the Bleed. So I went online and I just started searching courses I could take, online things I could take. And and I found Stop the Bleed and did kind of a a quick online course and then also signed up for an in-person course. Around that same time is when um, I was contacted um, from a gal and she was producing a PSA for the Alameda County EMS uh, about Stop the Bleed. And so kind of you know, got in touch with her and we started talking about doing some filming. And then I actually had my Stop the Bleed class coming up. So they were able to come out and, and meet then and, and film some of that and uh, eventually made it on the Dr. Oz show, which is where I met Pat. And meeting Pat is when we kind of said, hey, this is awesome. Um, it was making me feel really good to be able to share my story, but the story of many of us. I look at this as the opportunity to honor the 58 lives we lost that night. And that is so important to me. The whole goal of Stop the Bleed is to be proactive, right? Take a proactive approach to saving lives. My story, fortunately, aligns with that. And so it just made sense to me to kind of get involved and see where I could fit in and see what I could do to part, you know, be a part of something this that's so amazing. You know, I don't know if I ever shared with you a little thread of the Dr. Oz uh, story. So we were talking to uh, the show's producers and they were really interested in doing uh, a one or two minute uh, PSA style uh, commercial that they would put at the end of one of their shows. And I had gotten a copy of uh, the video that you referred to with uh, Alameda County, uh, the late Lacey's story uh, video. And I shared that with them. They decided to do a whole segment on Stop the Bleed. It was really that story, that your own story, that caused them to go from sort of a two-minute coverage to a full episode. And um, you probably wouldn't say this, but I'll, I'll say it. So the Dr. Oz show flew Lacey from California to New York, put her up in a hotel for uh, one or two nights. I'm not sure how long you were there. And um, I got some feedback from the show afterwards that... Um, that that uh, particular show uh, really created uh, more engagement uh, than their usual show. I think that uh, there were others who were in that 
stop the lead segment that they produced, but you were really the, you were the sort of the anchor of that whole segment and the reason why there was a whole segment uh, in the beginning. So it's, it's been so great that you're, you've been willing to share your story because I think it really, really resonates with people. Yeah. You know, it's difficult to share. It's very uncomfortable. I'm not one who really like wants to be in front of the camera or um, is comfortable doing this type of work, but I do. And it, and it took me a while to get there. And I had a lot of people who told me this, and then I finally believed it, which is there is a lot of value in this story. And when you've gone through something like this, you have to learn and try to use your experience to do better and, and change the world in a positive way. And so I feel like it's so amazing that, you know, the Stop the Bleep campaign is just so happens to be kind of blowing up after this happened to me. And then I get to be a part of something that I really do feel like is saving lives and will continue to save lives. And we just got to keep spreading that word. So tell us a little bit about your work as a Stop the Bleed ambassador. As a Stop the Bleed ambassador, I've gotten to do some really cool and fun things, a bunch of radio interviews and, and in-person uh, live TV interviews. And kind of the path I've taken with it is for me locally is, you know, trying to help schools get trained with Stop the Bleed, schools, churches, organizations. Um, so I kind of now have become a, a liaison between organizations that want to be trained and then our local agencies that have the certifications to do the trainings. So, you know, of course, during quarantine, things have changed quite a bit, but I do have quite a few schools who will be getting trained and now some schools are already trained. And then now I'm working closely with those schools and other organizations to bring the tourniquets and kits into classrooms. I think for me, it was kind of a natural progression to get into that just because I do have a son who, you know, he will be a middle schooler next year. And of course, I want him to be safe at school. I encourage everyone, of course, to get training and I encourage everyone to be an ambassador. But for me, it's just been so fulfilling when you meet someone and they've heard your story and that prompted them to go get Stop the Bleed trained. Oh, that's great. I do the training like every year because I, I, you know, I want to refresh my memory. If I have new questions come up, I want to know. So that's been really exciting to do that. And I've met a lot of great people that way. You know, being an ambassador is amazing because I'll have people reach out to me and say, hey, I really want to take this class. I'm not really sure. And I will, I've literally been like, oh, I'll go with you. I love that. <laughs> so complete strangers, but I'm like, oh, I'll sign up for it too. I'll, I'll take the class with you. They don't want to go alone. Everyone has a different way of teaching. And, um, you know, I just figure as the more times I go, the better educated I am and the more practice I get on the limbs using the tourniquets is amazing. Lacey, a question for you. When you're uh, talking to people about whether it's at schools or in other places about Stop the Bleed, um, do you ever get any pushback or do you find people are receptive to the idea once they understand uh, what Stop the Bleed is all about? You know, there definitely is some pushback. And I think the pushback is it's not going to happen here. It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen in my business, at my school, in my church. And, you know, I'm living proof that that is not the case, because if you would have told me <laughs> that you know, this ever would have happened to me, I thought would have thought you were out of your mind. I'm literally just a baseball mom, you know, living in Southern California, minding my own business, going to a country concert. So this was never going to happen to me until it did. And so I don't think that that is a mindset we can take anymore. And so that is, you know, kind of what I tell them is it, it was never going to happen to me either. And then it did. 
it's just like, we can't have that mindset anymore because it's happening and it's happening every day. People like me who have been in maybe like a traumatic situation, Stop the Bleed has really given me my power back. I can't think of like a better gift that I could give to somebody else who's been through that, which is empowering them to possibly save lives. One of the things that we think about a lot is how to um, educate the public that although uh, mass shootings have been a reason why a lot of people have become interested in Stop the Bleed, that, that sort of risk. And as you say, a lot of people don't believe that that can happen to them. But there are so many other things that can happen to people that cause them to bleed out, <clears throat> car accidents, uh, industrial accidents, and there's just a, a laundry list of things. Um, and I think uh, getting the word out that there's a variety of bad things that can happen that you might not even think of. Uh, that can put you in that circumstance is uh, part of the work that uh, we, we have to do uh, on the campaign side. Absolutely. You know, my husband and I have actually, since taking the classes, we've both kind of been a part of separate events where we were needing to give someone medical attention and knew what to do because of the training that we had received. And again, completely separate, different incidences, but both people were bleeding and they needed help. And, um, I mean, I know for me, like, you know, when I realized I was in this situation and I, my adrenaline was going crazy and I was like, I don't know what to do. And then I was like, wait, you do know what to do. Take a second, go to your car, get your kid out, take a breath. You know what to do. Go help, go assist this person, call 911 and you know what to do. You've learned this. And it was like meant to be for me, you know? So no, it's not, it's not, um, just a shooting. Um, she had fallen, unfortunately, and, and hit her head on the corner of, um, you know, some cement and she, she was bleeding out of her, her head. And with my husband's incident, somebody had a glass bottle and it broke and it was in a bag and they didn't know. And they went to swing the bag to throw it in the trash can and it totally sliced their leg open and they, you know, couldn't get it to stop bleeding, couldn't get it to stop bleeding. And then he was able to kind of learn what was happening and run to his truck and get what he needed to do. So these are things that are happening all the time, everywhere. It is not um, necessarily because of someone else's doing, right? Even just in your home, you can get injured or a natural disaster or anything. We just don't know these days. So why not just be prepared? I just wanted to go back one, one second to something that you said earlier about that being a part of Stop the Bleed has given you power. This year will be four years since that uh, mass shooting, the deadliest in the U.S. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how are you doing? You spoke a little bit about your recovery, but how are you doing and how's your family doing? Yeah, I think, I think I'm doing pretty good. Um, four years is a long time to get, you know, to heal. Um, but there are definitely still things that are very triggering to me. And of course, you know, waking up and hearing about a new shooting or a new, whatever it may be. And just hearing that, um, you know, people are kind of dying unnecessarily because of injuries that they've sustained um, is, of course, like terrible for me to hear when I know that there's so many things out there that can help save lives. Um, but at the same time, this has really given me a huge gift in my healing, in helping me be resilient, in helping me, you know, help others even help other survivors and going on this journey with Stop the Bleed has been so important into my healing. I mean, I can do a ton of therapy and I can do, um, you know, all the peer supports and workshops, but really it's what you have to do internally 
And you have to make almost a decision that you're going to continue to heal every day and, you know, make changes for the better. And for me, stop the bleed has played such an important part in my healing and moving on and saying, yes, this terrible thing happened, but from that can create beauty and can create life savings and can create this new group of people I'm meeting that are just as passionate about it as I am. And the connections I've made have been amazing. And it's people like Pat and even yourself that are so supportive and continue to give the opportunity of the stories to be told, um, to honor the lives that we've lost. And then also hopefully prevent future deaths. And like, that is, I don't know that there's a greater gift than that for me. You said the right word, beauty. It is beautiful seeing how, what this give back for you has done and how much you've been able to help us, um, and stop the bleed, spread the word. And the family is doing really good. I mean, we've all used this as an opportunity to learn and to, um, kind of, you know, it's a sad in a way, cause you've kind of lost, you know, you're not as naive as you used to be, but that's okay. And, um, I think it's really good for my son. Of course, at first it wasn't great, but now he's doing really well and he's done some online trainings. And I think this year will be the year that he is going to do his first like in-person stop the bleed training. I think that's going to be great for a whole family to get to experience that together. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. You know, as one of our uh, premier ambassadors, your, your, your story is really uh, uplifting and I think motivating. We started a new uh, Stop the Bleed Ambassador program uh, recently, uh, as we were discussing off air, and we're encouraging uh, people who are, have the motivation to help do any of the things that you've been talking about, just talking about the campaign, encouraging people to get trained. You've done sort of the full laundry list of things that an ambassador can do. And uh, and we want to let people know that you don't have to have a survivor's story, so to speak, to uh, uh, become an ambassador. It's just really people who are uh, believing in the importance of what the campaign is trying to accomplish, uh, have some time and ability to uh, create more awareness and, and more engagement around the campaign, because the ultimate goal is just to have more and more people trained to uh, know what to do if they find themselves in circumstances, hopefully not a uh, mass shooting incident. Uh, as you pointed out, there's lots of reasons that people can start uh, bleeding, uh, whether it's uh, a bottle in a bag that nobody knew about or uh, just, you know, a, a laundry list of, of things that, that happen when, when help is needed. Just thanks so much for taking the time today to uh, come on the podcast. I'm sure we'll talk again, uh, maybe in a future cast and here, uh, get a great update from you. Lacey, yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time you've given us and the passion that you've dedicated to Stop the Bleed. Uh, if anyone listening wants to read more about Lacey's story or reach out to her, uh, you can follow her story at bleedingandbarefoot.com. And her Instagram is Lacey Newman STB. Oh, thank you. You guys enjoy the rest of your day. Well, Lacey's story is incredible. I'm so glad she could join us. And I really hope that hearing her perspective 
helped illuminate the importance of our work here and maybe lit a spark that'll inspire more listeners to learn more about the importance of the Stop the Bleed campaign and the work that our ambassadors do. And as Pat mentioned, you know, we're always looking for individuals who are willing to dedicate their time via social media, helping out with emails or within their local community, speaking to the media. Really, there's many ways to get involved as a Stop the Bleed ambassador to help us evolve the campaign. We recently launched a Facebook group for ambassadors to have a place to connect. Pat and I were chatting before the show because it really didn't take long for people to use the group as a community page. You know, I've seen people ask questions, instructors sharing updates about their training or tips. And it's just so awesome to watch those conversations take place and see the camaraderie there. It gets me so excited. So if you're an ambassador, definitely go check it out. Search Facebook groups for Stop the Bleed Ambassadors and you'll find it. Pat, I think this is a perfect time to transition into today's spotlight. It is. Our spotlight highlights people and organizations supporting the Stop the Bleed campaign with their amazing work. Who are we shining a light on today? We're shining the light on an ambassador and Stop the Bleed instructor from Florida. Her name is Linda B. Linda has been a top contributor on our ambassador page. And last month, she taught five life-saving classes. And I know she has more lined up for the next month. So please, please, Linda, keep up the great work. You're doing incredible things. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you're not already, please subscribe. You can do so in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. If you're excited to hear more or have a podcast idea to share with us, drop us a comment on our Facebook page, which is at Stop the Bleed with the number one. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and share our podcast with someone you know. Together, we can save lives. To learn more about the Stop the Bleed campaign, Stop the Bleed grants and scholarships, and how you or your organization can get involved, visit StopTheBleedProject.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Stop the Bleed for campaign updates.